The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. A few weeks ago, I kind of introduced our mission conference with a perspective of how God was challenging us with the 1040 window. Uh, many of you have become aware of what the 1040 window is because of the excellency of the ministries that came here, the M&M booklets, the explanations from the pulpit, and uh, your burden now. Uh, to be more effective in reaching out to that four, four and a half billion people in that region. In Romans chapter 4, we read these words, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may by, by grace may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Interesting that there were very few nations when this word was written, and Rome was the dominant country, the dominant empire which was ruling over many nations and ethnic groups. But little did Paul or others know that the nations of the world would far go beyond that little bit of border in the Middle East. And God is reminding us that he has made his people and his person, Abraham, to be the spiritual father of many nations. It says in the next part, he is our father in the sight of God. He is our Father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. God sends... That was the reason for the call of worship this evening. Jesus sends. What do we do? We go. God sends. We go. Abraham is the father of these many nations. And God is sending us to many nations. You know, I have been here a little over four years as a part-time ministering pastor with a wonderful fellow camaraderie with my fellow brother pastors, and I have sat back amazed at how thorough and involved Westminster Presbyterian Church is. You all are to be commended for your prayer and your support of the work of God. Here, yes, but also abroad. You have opened up your homes to the gospel and those who are ministering the gospel 
Some of you have made your life fairly inconvenient by being in service to that wonderful cause of sending out the gospel. And just this past week, we have had such a blessing with the missionaries that were able to come on this time of their home assignment. Last year, it was a whole other set of missionaries. And the year before, isn't it great to have these people come in? God sends these people. He uses us. We go. Oh, we may not physically go, but we're going with them with our prayers. We're going with them with our financial support. We're going with them when we hear and understand the burdens they personally may share as a family. Some of you were in prayer meeting a few weeks ago, and two of our missionaries shared not only of their work, but of heartbreaking difficulty in their own personal lives with their own families. Their lives are walking with the Lord, but some of their family aren't. And it's great to be around these people and be involved with them and share with them and show them and let them know we care for them. And we care for them even now, having seen them walk away to their next place of service. You know, Paul, in his word in Acts chapter 20, now I want you to turn there to the famous farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. I'm not going to read the whole context of it. You know, Paul spent a number of years ministering in Ephesus. I believe it was three years. And he endeared himself to those people. They endeared themselves to him. And in his farewell address, he tells how God had helped him to finish his course He warns them about troublemakers that may come in, but he declared unto them everything about the gospel, and he was innocent of the blood of all men. And he warned them to keep watch over the flock and asked the overseers, the under-shepherds of the church, to watch out because Jesus bought that church, as he has Westminster, with his own blood. So it's not any one groups. It's the Lord's people. He owns us. And he's in charge of the sending of people. Paul continues on in that vein. And he says, be on your guard in verse 31. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How wonderful. But notice verse 36. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, what happens when missionaries leave? Well, this was a tender scene. God sends, we go. We go with them or the missionaries themselves go. But what's it like to go? Well, look at the next step, just a few verses. After we had torn ourselves away from them, it's never easy to leave the people that love you. 
And undoubtedly, some of those people maybe had, like you, have connections within the church. Some of you have been dear friends of missionaries here at Westminster for years. Some of those missionaries grew up in this church. Or if you've been a member and a member of another church and you had missionaries grow up in that church, you know how hard it is to see them leave. You know what an investment it is that you've put into their life when they go. And so when Luke writes, we had torn ourselves away from them. We put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. That's a little vessel that they were in. And then we read, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. And after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage to Tyre, and I'll stop there. You see, we know that God sends his people, and we go when he sends. And it's not an easy thing. But I would like to say that when we're staying here, we are praying. When we are staying, we are praying. You know, I love it when it talks so clearly of what it's like to go down to the seashore. Every summer, many of you are going to go down the seashore. (laughs) I wonder what it was like that day. Now, here is a father and his wife, because there were many fathers and wives and little children. And they're walking down to the seashore with the Apostle Paul. My imagination runs like this. There's a little boy or girl there, and you know what he's saying? Daddy, why are we going to the seashore? Can we go wading in the water? Can we play in the sand and throw it? Why is that funny-looking man there? What is, what's, why are they hugging him? Why is he so funny-looking? Because, you know, Paul had gotten beaten and stripped and had whips all over his body, and from this venture on to the next few cities, he would be beaten again. So he had scars all over his face, probably had several knocked out, You know what it's like. When you were a kid, we used to get a piece of uh, tar, not tar, but uh, wax, and chew sweet wax. They had wax lips and wax mustaches, and we'd chew it, get it soft. There was a little sugar in it, and when it was done, it would stick a hunk, like up here, 
and go to our home and our mother and say, Hi, Mom, look at me, and smile. And of course, it looked like two teeth were out of your face. It seems funny, but it wasn't funny for Paul. He looked that way all the time. And I can just imagine these children saying such things. And then they might say, well, Daddy, Mommy, why is everybody crying here? Why is everyone so sad? Daddy, this is a strange place to kneel down. Here by the seashore? Your, 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 your tunic is going to get sand all over. It's going to get wet. Why are we kneeling here, Dad? Dad, that boat that they're getting on, is that boat safe enough? Will it be okay? Dad, where are they going? They've just been here for a little while. Why are they leaving, Dad? Why are they going on? Dad, can I go with them? Yes. Yes, you can. One day. One day when you are used and you train and you study and you work and you raise support, yes, you can go, Dad might have said. That's certainly true today. Now, these are the children's questions. Perhaps Dad or the Heavenly Father might have had another perspective, and that is this. When we're staying, we're praying because the future of the world and the future of the church and the future of Westminster and the future of all the PCA churches depend upon what that man, the Apostle Paul, did, and depends upon what every missionary who was here this past week and every other missionary serving the Lord is doing. Paul wrote something like, when I was a child, I thought as a child, and I would play as a child. And I suppose there were some parents that said to those little boys and girls that day, yeah, yeah, you can go out and play in the water just a little bit, not too deep. And you can wade there. And, and don't throw any hand because we don't want crying people. But we want you to be reasonably quiet so we can hear and that we can say our farewells to this man. And you'll know more about it later. But we're going to pray for him. And they did pray kneeling in prayer to God, to the God who makes crucial appointments, kneeling in prayer to the God, knowing that Paul is a dead man walking, warning him now that he is going to a city he's determined to go, whether he was right in his will of doing that, I don't know. God worked all things together for good in Paul's life as he does in yours and mine. But he was imprisoned in that city, and he was imprisoned the rest of his life. And he was later beaten because of that testimony. But at the same time, he was fulfilling what the Lord revealed to him on the road to Damascus when he said, I, the Lord Jesus, will show you, Paul. What great things you will suffer for my name's sake. Paul was ready to do it. He was taking on whatever Jesus had. Even if it meant not very good wisdom in going to Jerusalem 
Perhaps he should have gone on to Rome on his own. But however it was, God worked it together for good. Where is he going? God led him. And where he went, there were people concerned and saying, Paul, should you go there? And even now, we're sending a team this summer down to Laredo, Texas, and I know some of you parents, and that's okay, are thinking, that's the most dangerous place in the world. But if you heard Gene Bowman say, it's not dangerous at all. It's just the other side of the Rio Grande that's really dangerous. But you can go, and we should be involved in going. But we all we want to be cautionary. There were people who warned and actually said God spoke to them. God prophesied to them that Paul should not go. But he did it anyways, and God worked in his life. He did it, and he was praying, and the people were kneeling and praying with him because they knew they had to stay, but they were praying for him as he was going. And they were praying that a pagan nation, through what Paul was doing, would awaken to life, would awaken to Jesus Christ. These were very touching farewells to a faithful missionary. I would have loved to have been in that group. Wouldn't you have? Wouldn't have been neat to be there. And then everybody got up, and kids have sand all through their hairs, and some probably didn't listen to their mommy and daddy were crying because they had sand in their eyes, and they're saying, wait till we get home and we can pour some good water because you can't pour salt water in the eye very well. <laughs> Must have been an uncomfortable scene, don't you think, for some of those parents. But perhaps there was one little boy, perhaps a, a guy like Chrysostom or somebody else that was there just flitting around in the sand. And guess what? Within a few years, he would be another Apostle Paul. Or perhaps another of the church fathers that were there that day and saw that man and that strange company of Luke and others as they sailed away in a boat and finally went out of sight. Well, wasn't that wonderful to see them sail away? Now what do we do? Well, we keep on praying. If you had some interesting conversations, as I do with some of our missionaries, you realize that they're just like you and me, except they're almost always on the road. I was talking with uh, Bruce and Linda Farrant. Helped them pack their car up. It wasn't a boat, but it was a Jeep. And as we packed their Jeep, they said, this is the toughest part that we have. For all their missionary displays, they uh, put it in the Jeep, but the Jeep was a, you know, a soft uh, canvas and so whenever they traveled somewhere, one or the other would have to keep an eye on their Jeep so somebody didn't come with a knife and take out their computer and take out their screens and projectors and everything else. And so they, they, they kind of just shared some of the difficulties of that. Another missionary, Rick and Claire Hivner. Claire has had some trouble this past year with her eyesight, struggling with this, uh, I believe, a tumor in her head. But God's been gracious. But they're having two kids graduate from college this spring, Lord willing, Matthew and Sarah. And uh, they have a heart for India. They spent a lot of time there growing up. And I think they're maybe projected to go there. Now, we ought to hold them in our arms and pray with them and hug them 
and share with him. And I saw a lot of that. I saw some tonight here. I'm sitting up here from the eagle's nest, and I saw somebody hug somebody else. Oh, God bless you. We ought to do more of that. But hugs may mean some real holiness. People have come off the field, and they're, they're hurting, and a hug can help. Tears can mean a lot of encouragement in the truth. And farewells may mean fun times ahead. But the opposite is true, too. Hugs may not mean holiness. Tears may not mean truth. Farewells may not mean fun. Paul, in his charge, at least to the people in Ephesus, said, Watch out. Fearsome wolves may come in among you and destroy the flock. Be careful to hold on to the truth. When we're saying we ought to be praying, and I trust each of you now also have this concept in your hearts that uh, you're praying even if you're staying. You're praying. You're praying. God sends, we go. When staying, we are praying. And one final thought, and that is this. Fan your love for Jesus and for his people and his kingdom. Fan your love for Jesus into a fiery flame. And I say that because in the second epistle to the Ephesians, which is found in what book of the Bible? Revelation chapter 2. The second epistle to the Ephesians, Jesus said to those people, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Why, only a few years before, Paul's commending them. They're hugging him. They're kissing him. They're crying over him. They're saying farewells to him and praying for him. But within a very short time, the memory of Paul and what he's doing sort of fades away. Life gets busy and complicated, and we get involved in other things. It's normal. We all have this problem. And along with that, the fire that we felt and encouragement for somebody's ministry fades away with the busyness of our lives. It might be sickness. It might be finances. It might be struggles in our family and our homes and our marriages. But the next thing you know, the flames that burn kind of almost go out. And we have to fan the flames. And the very words of Jesus to those people in Ephesus within a few years were, Repent! Return to your first love! What is the first love? It's very clear in all of God's Word. Love the Lord with all your heart and all of your mind, and all of your soul. And I say it to myself, and all of my might, love the Lord. That's what it means to return to your first love. What's the height that they have fallen from? 
the very height of the gospel of our Savior who left heaven above and came down and incarnated in flesh to redeem his own people and then went up into glory. And he who left and went up to glory said, keep on being a minister and a messenger for the gospel. Keep on preaching it. Keep on living it. And they had fallen away from that height. About 10 years ago, we had the opportunity to do a mission project in England. It was the LEAP project. And part of my family journeyed to France for a few days. We went to France. But we stopped overnight in Paris, stayed one night, and did a couple quick sights. Uh, we went to the top of the Eiffel Tower. I did. Not Becky, my wife. She took the first tier up. And when she got up to the third, one-third of the height, she looked around. I'm not going any further. So she made a bad choice, though, because she didn't realize that the stairwell that went down from there was completely open. You, You just feel, and she gets vertigo. So it was completely safe, all fenced in. She couldn't have fallen except maybe one step or two. But she was in a dither. And, of course, we're up there looking around, enjoying the top of the Eiffel Tower. Beautiful views, how high it was. And uh, she, uh, she just couldn't get any, any further. Finally, she got down and shared her dilemma. The Eiffel Tower is pretty high for a landed structure, a man-made structure. It would be a terrible thing to fall from that height. To fall from a height is a terrible thing. When my daughter was in missionary service, she had a retreat with her mission down in Atlanta. And it was an open courtyard. I might have shared this with some of you. And she was eating at a table with several other missionaries. And it went up like 20, 25 stories in this hotel. And someone jumped from that height and landed on the table where my daughter was. And blood splat all over my daughter. The thing that most bothered her was the sound of that body hitting. And to this day, she has occasional nightmares of the sound, not so much the sight. She later went upstairs to her room and showered for over an hour as she processed that. It's a terrible thing to see a witness a suicide. It's a terrible thing for a believer who knows God to start to look at other loves and fall from a wonderful height of the gospel to the lowest pit. A sad thing. We are warned in the scripture about that. And I'll tell you today that the the country, the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor, is also in the 1040 window, one of the least reached places with the gospel now, almost 2,000 years from that thriving church. Now, could that happen to any church? Of course it could. That's why we send, knowing God's the one who sends, and that's why we go. That's why when staying, we're praying. And that's why we fan into a fiery blast of hot praise our love for Jesus Christ. 
Praying and supporting missionaries does not end when the missionaries leave us. It goes on and on. I will just say this in closing. Keep on fanning the flame. There's a verse in Scripture that says, God is our refuge and strength. You know what? We have a precious opportunity just in a couple weeks to have a refugee come under the sponsorship of Westminster Church. And we have the opportunity to help that refugee see that God can be their refuge and strength as we have found it. Very serious. The ongoing work of God, let's keep on doing it for the Lord. Let's keep on being enthusiastic about all of our ministries, our youth ministries, our ministries to widows, our men's ministries, our outreach in the community through Water Street. For every opportunity that we have is an opportunity for outreach in the community.